0: The following is a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike, LLC.
1: With three minutes to go in the third quarter, they were down 24-3. And then the big turnaround as they look for the end zone. Touchdown,
2: Two things have happened on the field. James Vandenberg is very comfortable. The offensive line now is comfortable picking up the blitzes. Of Pittsburgh. They're not getting to the quarterback. He's throwing the ball with authority and accuracy.
1: 31 to
0: 27. Hello, Hawkeye fans. This is John Patchett, and welcome to the football show from Hawkeyes Mike. This is show three in week three of the 2011 season. We have two reporters notebook segments featuring the Gazette's Mark Morehouse, who previews Iowa's upcoming game against the University of Louisiana Monroe, and the Burlington Hawkeyes' John Camp who looks back at the Hawks' come-from-behind victory over the Pitt Panthers. You'll also hear from the opposing coaches in this coming Saturday's game, Iowa's Kirk Ferentz and ULM's Todd Berry. This Hawkeyes Mike podcast is one in a series of our three weekly programs this year, which include regulars Brent Balbonat and Marv Cook, as well as numerous guest commentators and reporters.
3: And I love Iowa City. I love you, Hawkeyes Mike.
0: The Iowa-Pittsburgh game highlights are courtesy of ESPN2, with announcers Beth Mullins and Mark Bellotti a nice job calling this contest and especially capturing the excitement of Iowa's fourth quarter comeback. We very much appreciate it and thank them.
1: On the keeper, no signal yet on the Vandenberg keeper. Touchdown!
2: That's the type of response Iowa needed. Both players, fans, and coaches they have got to get back in this game. They're still down by two possessions, but that's a a step in the right direction.
1: It's 24 to 10. Iowa strikes back. And on the reversal on the review, resulting in a 22-yard reception that really pushed that drive forward.
0: Hawkeyes Mike football programs come to you following every game during the entire season and are brought to you in part by Prefense Hand Sanitizer. One application lasts all day. Try the hand sanitizer used by the Iowa Hawkeyes. And remember, the best defense is Prefence. And by the Marsh Cook Investment Group in Coralville, Iowa. Marsh Cook, for all your investment needs.
3: Call in and express your opinions about the Hawks. To make your voice heard on hawkeyesmic.com, call toll-free 866-74-HAWKS and join our guest experts on weekly podcasts.
0: Time now for part one of our reporter's notebook with John Bonencamp. You can read John's articles in the Hawkeye and online at thehawkeye.com. John looks back at the pit game.
4: Well, John, we had three quarters of complete ineptness last Saturday, and then all of a sudden an explosion, really in all three phases, offensively, defensively, and in special teams in the fourth quarter for the biggest comeback in the history of the program. You're
5: right. It was, it was two different games. It was pretty much that... You know the first half and most of the third quarter, Iowa just couldn't do anything, anywhere, other than punting. And then uh, from about the you know late in the late in the third quarter until the end, I mean it, it was a totally different team. Totally different execution, just just really different in how they did things.
0: What did you see going on offensively that caused all those struggles?
5: I it, I just think it just it just seemed like there there was just nothing in sync. I mean, there were times when you know there was one pass play when when Vandenberg threw the pass to the left side and and Marvin McNutt was cutting toward the middle, and it was just like they just nobody seemed to be on the same page. The running game there wasn't any sort of aggressiveness with that. I mean, I was I was really surprised that. You know how Marcus Cook has missed some, missed some openings in the line that could have gained more yards. There were other times when he was just really tentative, and it just seemed like it just seemed like they just didn't know what was going on. And, and it was, I mean, it was just there was, there was just like a total breakdown of whether it was communication or focus or whatever. But it just didn't seem like they, that that anybody was on the same page. It was all, all like they were all thinking something different out there.
4: Now you come from Vandenberg Country down there. It, it, this. Is an offense system when they said no huddle hurry up uh, the entire fourth quarter, isn't that basically what he ran?
5: It was it was something like that. I mean, they ran they they had a you know a high tempo offense. There wasn't a lot of time between plays, and there there wasn't a whole lot of it wasn't a whole lot of huddle. And it was and it was kind of a, and it was a spread offense too. And. So it seemed like really, you know, when they went to the no huddle and when they when they did some different things and kinda of got away from the running game, which was I mean out of necessity more than anything else, it it seemed like he was really a lot better. And I mean, realistically though, I mean the one drive I, I think it was it was early in the fourth quarter when he kinda of got started when he kinda of started, you know, completing some passes. He was still throwing some some high passes and his receivers made some good plays and it seemed like he started getting some confidence from that, and all of a sudden, it, it just seemed like it just seemed like he was more comfortable from that point on. And he started making accurate throws at that point, and started making good decisions. And it was just it just seemed like it really fit him very well.
4: Yeah, he seemed to have the high throwing issue, overthrowing his receivers eerily similar to what happened at Iowa State the week before. Those three touchdown passes he hit in the end zone were things of beauty.
5: Yeah, and I mean it it you know, and and, and on one of the you know, I said on and I think it was the drive on, on the Keenan Davis touchdown where, where he made a really nice catch on a pass in the end zone it's like he was he had receivers open and he was throwing you know, he threw some high passes and they made plays. And once they started making plays then he started it seemed like he seemed more comfortable, and then he started to get more accurate from that point. And, and really, you know, on the last two drives of the fourth quarter that, that won the game, the, the two touchdown passes to Martin Manley, he really threw the ball a lot better and was a lot a lot had a better accuracy to it.
4: So I'm struggling again in terms of uh, the running plays, pretty poor average per carry, really. Although we did finally see the first uh, backup running back since the opening game and Bullock carrying the ball.
5: Yeah, and I mean it, it, it's it's one of those things I keep harping on this that they have got to get Marcus Coker some help. They just can't rely on one running back. They have got to start getting him. You know, they've got to start getting some some movement in that in that offense and, and, and start getting some, building some depth there because I mean were 33 carries on Saturday, and Coker had 23 of them, and eight belonged to, to Vandenberg. And so it's like, you know, your only other carry at that point is, is one carry by Damon Bullock, which I think he was in the end zone on it. But, um, you know, at some point, you're going to have to establish a second running back, and I think maybe now it's going to be him. It's just a matter of getting him. It's a matter of getting him some rest at the same time. When he was in the game, he missed a couple blocks on blitz assignments. And, you know, those are the kind of things that are going to keep, going to keep him out of the lineup as he keeps doing. So it's not just a matter of running the ball, it's executing the offense. So. They need to find that second running back at this point.
4: On a brighter side, offensively, it was maybe one of the best jobs I've ever seen in recent years of spreading the ball around to receivers. I mean, Keenan Davis had 10 catches, McNutt 8, Coker had 5, or that Martin Manley 4, and the tight ends got 4 passes.
5: got the tight ends a little more involved. I know that was the topic of conversation last Tuesday. uh, And so, I mean, they got Zach Derby involved early, or Brad Herman involved early in the game, and Zach Derby made a couple of catches. So, again, that that needs to be a part of the offense. But right now, he's got three really good receivers to throw to. And and if he can mix it in with the tight ends a little bit, the the passing game takes a little bit of a difference to bench.
4: Is this as good a group of three wideouts as you've seen under Ferentz?
5: You know, somebody somebody asked me that the other night and I tried to think and, and I can't really remember a group a group of three like that. I mean, there's been times where they've they've had two really good ones, but I do think that this is this is a different this is a different group and they all kind of bring different different things to the table. I mean obviously McNutt, you know, pretty good size receiver Davis and Mark Manley had some speed to them, so there's a little bit of difference between the three of them, and you know, you need that. You need you need to have those kind of weapons if, especially if they start to go to this no huddle thing that you need to have that kind of passing attack where you have more than just one receiver because so many defense, because you're going to get into a situation where defenses were going to start locking down on Marvin McNutt, and you know if you were going to keep throwing to him, you weren't going to have a whole lot of luck. So now that you now that you've developed that a little bit, now you've got a little, you've got some options there that I think defenses are going to have to take into account.
4: Before we talk about the defense last Saturday, it was sort of an odd game in terms of the officiating, and not much has been said about it. You sensed. That the Iowa coaching staff was less than thrilled almost the entire game, and it was kind of weird because the the referee even screwed up the coin toss. Pitt won, and he turned to McNutt and asked McNutt what choice he wanted to make. I thought two of the biggest plays in this ball game were the two calls that Ferentz threw a fit about, and were reviewed, and both were overturned. The catch right in front of the Iowa bench, and then also the line of scrimmage change that was really big against Pitt. And
5: then yeah, and then they totally missed the bullet touchdown too. That they, they said he was down at the one. So, I mean, this this wasn't a good crew. It did seem like and. You know there was there was there was a little bit difference. You know there's a little bit of a discrepancy in penalties. Iowa had eight for 85 and Pitt fourth was for 37. But you know I mean they missed a couple of obvious calls and, and you know, penalties are one thing, but when you miss obvious calls on catches and, and touchdowns and that sort of thing, that seemed to me like this wasn't a very good crew. Or, and they didn't. You know talk getting back to the focus thing, they didn't seem very focused on Saturday either. So it
3: was just it was just a strange game all the way around.
4: On defense, it was you know you have to give your preps to Pitt's offense, they were averaging about 12 seconds between their offensive plays. And we've seen the hurry-up style offenses against Iowa before, but I I was hard-pressed to remember any team running plays that quickly.
5: Yeah, and and it caused some problems for Iowa's defense. And once they finally started getting some stops in fourth quarter and getting off the field, they were were in a little better shape. But it just seemed like it was another one of those offenses that was going to give them fits, and and it's going to continue to be a problem with them as you get into Big Ten season, that that these, you know, these mobile running backs or mobile quarterbacks and these guys that do different things have have given them a lot of problems. So I I think that, you know, again, they didn't seem like they were in sync for the first three quarters, but they came up with big stops at the end, and in the end that that was really kind of the lost difference in the whole thing.
4: The defensive changes in personnel that the Iowa staff made uh, before the game, including moving Hyde back to cornerback at least for this game, sure seemed to pay off big time. Well, the Hyde,
5: the Hyde move was the biggest one because, I mean, he, he comes up with two picks. and I mean, he's a corner. That's his job. He's not a safety. He's a corner. And I think I would like to think that he will stay there for the rest of the season. But at the same time, you just you don't know what they're thinking at this point. And Kirk didn't tip his hand on Tuesday. What what are you think? Oh, you know, we're going to do what we need to do to win, he said. And, and I, I think that was the biggest move involved was just getting Hyde in, in a familiar position. And he came up with a couple big interceptions for him.
4: The two sides of the coin here are coming out. Of that game, and Marv Cook and I talked about it in his segment. The thrill that the team had to feel, and the sense of confidence, like they'll never feel like they're out of a game again, in coming from behind, but that sort of having the potential, at least, to mask all of the problems that were really in the forefront for the first three quarters of the game.
5: Well, that was one of the things. You know, I talked to some different players after the game, and it, it was that was that was kind of brought up that it's like uh, and, and everybody all said the same thing, you know, it was like, Yeah, this is a nice win, yeah, it's nice we know how to do it, but we can't keep doing this every week. We can't keep having fourth quarter games where we have to win and, and, and that's what they all said. You know, we need to do we need to have, you know, do some we still got work to do. And so they recognize that and you know it's just a question of when it's all going to come together at this point. And you know, it's nice to get a win like that but at the same time they realize they need they need a lot but they, they still have a lot of work to do and there's a lot of things to correct.
4: What do you- you expect to see Saturday against a team that Kirk Ferentz described as running some sort of unusual schemes with a lot of veteran players.
5: Those kind of teams can give you trouble, and you know I mean they gave TCU trouble last Saturday. And you know to me the biggest thing in it was the defense they run. That's a, a three-three they call it. I see it a lot covered in Western Illinois football. They run a similar defense, and what it is is you know you have three linemen, you have three linebackers, you have you have your secondary, and then you have a guy that's kind of a, a roving outside linebacker. That it's kind of like a third safety and, and so those, those, it's a defense that if, it, if you have veteran players who know what they're doing really tough to identify what sort of coverages they're in if you're going to pass or if you're going to run the ball where everybody's at you know it's it's a defense that, that can really give teams fits just because they can disguise they can disguise coverages they can disguise different things and so it, it's one of the things I always got to be ready for on Saturday because it, it, it could give them some problem offensively It's sounds um, I mean it's, it's an athletic I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a fast tempo team. So you know, here again, you're going to run into some of the same things you've been seeing. It's a team that could give them a lot of problems.
4: What do you expect in terms of results?
5: You know, they can't have another place, You know, three bad quarters and one good quarter. I think you know they're going to clean some things up, but I think it's going to it's going to come down into the fourth quarter. I right? I really think. I think I think you know that Louisiana Monroe, or whatever they want to be called, I saw that in the press notes. Not to call them Louisiana Monroe, but I, I think they're going to give Iowa fits. But I think Iowa's still okay. Hasn't
6: been easy. I won't be.
1: And a touchdown for the Iowa Hawkeyes, Vandenberg to Keenan Davis, 14 yards, James Vandenberg completing nine passes in a row, ending with the touchdown.
2: If there's a time you want your quarterback to get hot, it's certainly the fourth quarter when you're behind, if it's not too
1: late. 27-17, so it's a 10-point game with just under 10 minutes to go. Vandenberg with a running and now a passing touchdown today. How many things have you touched today? Hmm?
4: Ooh, a puppy.
1: <laughs> How many places have your hands been? Ooh, a keyboard. 24 hour hand sanitizer production just makes sense. PreFins, a silica based hand sanitizer, protects your hands all day. Stays on, up to 10 washings, moisturizes, alcohol free, and safe for the kids. So go ahead, touch anything and everything.
6: Ooh, a toilet.
1: PreFins, keep your hands germ free all day.
0: Next up, it's time to hear from the head coaches in this coming Saturday's game. First up, Iowa head coach Kirk Ferentz. Given Iowa's success in the fourth quarter of the pit game, Ference was asked if the coaching staff is tempted to throw the ball a bit more or use the hurry-up offense more than it has in the past.
6: I mean, we're going to do it or we have to do uh, any given season to win. That, that's our plan. Yeah, you know, The good news, I think, out of Saturday, certainly James played well. It was pretty obvious. And then the other part is that uh, at least you in know, the last uh, 15, 20 minutes, and then you know coming out of camp, we were really and a little bit of a quandary at our receiver position, um, you know, based on what we saw in August. So I think if there's been a real positive the last two weeks, I think our receiver group has really taken some positive steps forward. And, you know, we knew Marvin is our only proven veteran player coming back, but it looks like right now you got you, know, you got a couple different levels going on. Keenan, the last two weeks, I think, has played, you know, uh, much better. And then uh, you know Cavante surfacing too helps us, and hopefully more guys will join the crowd. But the whole group really caught the ball well in practice last week, so that's really encouraging.
0: Ference was asked if he thought there was one turning point or a key play in the pit game that jump-started both his offense and defense.
6: Yeah, I don't know if there's one specific play, uh, but. Certainly, you know, when we got it going there a little bit, we scored a touchdown. That was a starting point, but it just – I told the players afterwards the good thing was it was a team effort. It wasn't just, you know, the offense doing something. But, you know, just as I went back, uh, that, that stop, that that two, under-two-minute stop was really critical. And And, you know, our, our special teams have gone from being like just, you know, Really, pretty bad. Our coverage teams. To, you know, we looked like a college team uh, chasing down there in that fourth quarter and, and covering kicks. And, you know, we're, we're not going to be a good team if we if we aren't doing that on a consistent basis. You know, we can't we can't keep riding the roller coaster and put our defense out there at midfield. and, uh, You know, I, I'll tell you if I was Is one one thing I was really happy about Saturday is those last two kick covers. You know, I mean that. If we do that, we'll have a chance. But if we don't, it's going to be a tough year.
0: Kirk discusses at length the Louisiana Monroe schemes.
6: It's almost like they have two separate offenses, if you will. They have two different styles of attack, and it's it's really not. Like the other day, they uh, got off to a pretty good start against uh, TCU, and, and they played a couple quarterbacks. Both guys did well, but you know, I'm not sure how they're going to handle that. But but they give you some real, just some unusual things that, you know, we're not used to seeing. So it's, it's going to eat up some practice time just to make sure we get everything covered. It's not the same as, but it's a little bit like last week. You know, if, if you don't have it covered, you're looking at big plays, and that, that you know, kind of puts a hole in your boat real quick. So uh, And then on the other side, it's a scheme defensively. That I don't, you know, maybe we've played something like this in the last 13 years. I just can't recall. It's, it's, you know, kind of Michigan had a little different look the last couple of years we played them, but this one's different than that, and so it's going to cause us to really spend some time slowing things down, teaching it, and making sure we got all 11 guys on the same page because it's, it's a little different than what we normally see. So then on top of that, they got a bunch of guys that are aggressive. You know, they're good, good aggressive defensive football players. That's going to be a challenge too. Well, it's, it's they play three down line, I can tell you that with certainty, I and mean, they can tell you they play with three uh, linebacker type. Guys, and then after that it's five DBs, but it's it's a unique way of playing. It's just a little different than what we see week in and week out. So it's I guess the uh, analogy if we were playing a wishbone team, that'd be like hold a timeout. We gotta you know, walk through all this stuff here a little bit, and it's just a different different thing, something different than we see normally.
0: Ference was asked if ULM's defense was vulnerable to the run.
6: You would think so, you know, and I mean that's the first thought you have when you hear that. And the one thing clearly, pretty sure that yeah, I mean their their whole deal is take the run away. And if you look at them statistically, you know, it seems like. A a lot of people are doing that right now, and you know we, we tend to be a, a run-stopping magnet. So they, they got a lot of guys down there. It gets pretty crowded in there. They may not have like you know '70s numbers on, but they'll they'll be down there. And these guys all hit. They all tackle, and you know so they make it they make it really hard to run the football. TCU had some some uh, some success, but they also have an option element to their game that we don't have, which which really makes a big difference.
0: And Ferentz talks about Iowa's tight ends and their ability to block, as well as catch passes and run routes.
6: I mean, pretty much if you can't block, you can't play for us. I mean, or we'll put you out wide, and you're a tight end that's not a tight end. Uh, but yeah, I mean, we've done that too, and what have you, but you know, we do expect our guys to block, that's part, and we expect our receivers to block too. It's obviously different out there than it is in the box, but you know, players that, that can't do things that just hamstrings, what you're trying to do philosophically, so, you know, when we recruit tight ends we tell them blocking part of the part of the package and there are a lot of offenses where it isn't you know they call them tight ends but they're not uh, they don't have to do that so but all the guys that come here as tight ends they know that they understand that
0: next we hear from louisiana monroe head coach todd Berry. barry talks about his team's loss last week to tcu
7: Obviously, this point of loss here this last week against TCU. I think they're really, really a fine team. I was more impressed. I was impressed going in, more impressed kind of coming out. It was a, it was a very physical game. It was played very fast on a very hot day, and and uh, yeah, I think both teams kind of spent it by the very end. We had a bad third quarter in the sense that the kickoff return for a touchdown and the ensuing fumble on the next possession created that 14 point swing. And then the rest of the game was played pretty evenly along those lines, and so I'm, I've got, um, you know, I'm pleased with where we're at as a football team. Other than those, that uh, that third quarter, um, but I think we're we're getting better. Our young guys are starting to grow up a little bit more, and, and got a, another huge challenge this week in you know, a very good Iowa team.
0: Barry discusses the play of his offense through the first three games this season.
7: Well, I think we played pretty well. You know, the thing that was frustrating me was the fact that, you know, Florida State's got an excellent defense, as Oklahoma found out. And so I wasn't going to gauge everything off of Florida State. And in the Grambling game, we, we we missed some plays. It wasn't so much that we didn't, you know, we, we obviously ran the ball effectively against Gramlin and, and so I was kind of curious going into this game. This is a very, very good TCU defense. Um, regardless of what happened, you know, in the Baylor game where they hit some explosion plays on them, which generally doesn't happen to them, that was just more – uh one guy than anything else and uh but we you know we were able to uh you know we, we made plays this last week on offense in the passing game which we hadn't been doing quite as uh, as consistently as what I would have liked had to kind of get away from the run game a little bit uh and we were running the ball semi effectively with it. you know it's nice to have some balance and and but then the third quarter 14 point swing and they dominated the field you know the time of possession in the third quarter and had 12 minutes you look up and now it's the fourth quarter against a very good defense, and so it, that impacted our our game plan quite a bit going, you know, with offensively in the fourth quarter. But, um, you know, our guys are, you know, I'm really pleased with our their, with their freshman offensive linemen. They, they have not... Uh, you know, they have not spit the bet in any form or fashion so far, you know, in any of these games. And they've gone up against some pretty impressive people when you start talking about Florida State and TCU.
0: Barry was asked about the challenge of opening the season with four tough teams and very emotional games.
7: I think we've had to play three emotional games in the sense that obviously you have to be up for Florida State and TCU because they're nationally ranked. And then you've got a rivalry game in Grambling where you know that you're going to get a great effort out of them. And, and you know, again, a lot of our players had uh, you know uh, ties you know to grambling in terms of people they played against or played with and and so we play, we've had to play three emotional games and we'll have to play another one this week and you know we start talking about having to play on an emotional high four weeks in a row sometimes that's difficult to maintain
0: and Barry talks about Iowa's offense and the Hawks depth at running back
7: with the nature of their style of offense, they're always you know uh, going to be able to recruit really fine running backs because of it, you know it's a it's a running back dominated offense and and so they don't. They've got. Uh, I think they've got enough of uh, enough stock of running backs up there to uh, not be as concerned. You hate to lose starters, but obviously, again, their their offense flows through their running back, and, and consequently, they're always going to have good backs and always have over the years. <laughs>
0: Time now for part two of our Reporter's Notebook with Mark Morehouse. You can read Mark's articles in the Gazette and online at thegazette.com. Mark previews the Iowa-Louisiana-Monroe game and also talks conference realignments. Mark, we
4: talked a lot last week about the state of the Iowa team after the ISU loss. Talk about the state of the team this week after the come-from-behind win against Pitt.
3: I think it's caution. Uh, I think you guys know that they didn't exactly climb Mount Everest last week, so they're not going to advertise that they did it this week. And uh, that's probably why. It's because it's, uh, as you saw, John, the defense put uh, four new guys in, and it seemed to pay off. But I don't think there's, you know, I don't think anybody's expecting it to go that easy last week. And it it didn't really go that easy last week. I mean, it had five pass plays of 20-plus yards. That's four that I always had since 2009, if you take out Blaine Cabard when he did in the inside bowl, so they gave up some yardage, they gave up some big plays that's uncharacteristic for an Iowa defense. If you look at offensively, sure, James Vandenberg was outstanding, his wide receivers were outstanding-er, and, uh, uh, but still, it came down to a 24-3 deficit late in the third quarter, so, Iowa, you know, they got to that hole hard to get there while well, the offense didn't do a whole up And so it had to, and defense, same same deal. So, yeah, I don't think anybody's uh, buying
4: Rose Bowl tickets yet. You talked last week about one of the keys in the game being able to try to contain the nation's leading rusher at that time, Ray Graham. Well, they did hold him to 99 yards.
3: Yeah, small victory, uh, I think. I mean, he was averaging 161. I think, he, you know, they could have run him... You know, more, but uh, perhaps I'm at a fourth and three in the uh, fourth quarter early. That might have been good. But anyway, uh, yeah, that was a key this week. Uh, this week, a key against uh, Louisiana Monroe, I would say, would be uh, kind of dealing with uh, the two attacks that they present. They, they present uh, quarterback uh, Colton Browning, who is more of their playmaker, more of their point guard type quarterback. And then uh, the other guy, Cody Kelly, is more their passing guy. So we'll see what Iowa's defense comes up with that. But I think Iowa's defense is far from a finished product, and I think it's going to be that way through the whole season. You might see, you might see uh, 13 different lineups.
4: In pre- previewing the University of Louisiana Monroe game, they played three pretty tough teams, three pretty emotional games. Their coach talked about that in his press conference earlier in this week what did you see out of ULM in those games especially last week against TCU they played a very good ball game
3: yeah they're not afraid they're going to come into Kinnick and this will be nothing they really haven't seen before I mean they went to Florida State and Florida State's a bigger stadium than Kinnick probably just as for even a fan base um higher expectations you know you, you saw them lose Saturday night at I guess, number one Oklahoma so you know that's a team's an agenda and they're ranked I think 12th still 12 or 14th so yeah, and at TCU it was a hot game a fast game Their coach described it which I thought was pretty interesting but you all know, we'll will come in here and they were are it's not going to be afraid of whatever I you know whatever Kinnick brings I me mean, it's it's getting $1 million to be a year, and I would love nothing more than to steal out with a $1 million
4: victory. Kirk talked a lot about how much of a veteran team that they have, and then he spent some time talking about their sort of odd defensive schemes.
3: Yeah, they run a 3 3 fine, which is sort of the defense that Richard Rodriguez took to Michigan before he got run out of town. So it didn't work for him there. Uh, on paper, sure, yes, Iowa should be able to power run, but this defense throws all kinds of bodies in the box. I mean, there was a couple times last week where nine players were within, were within 10 yards of wide of scrimmage. Uh, yeah, that was, yeah, that was, uh, no, that was, I'm sorry, that was against Florida State, and they did that. But nine, nine players within 10 yards of wide of scrimmage says that uh, it, it wants to take away the run, and in their league, that really works. They led the Sun Conference in uh, rush defense last two years in a row. So that's their point of emphasis, and which reminds me a lot of Iowa. The Iowa wants to make you one-dimensional. Uh, they want to make uh, Iowa one-dimensional. And you know, come, as a, coming off the performance that he had, you know, if, if their choice is to challenge James Vandenberg and Iowa's group of wide receivers, that'll be interesting. That'll be interesting for Iowa because I think that they'll be able, they're up to that task. We'll see, though. I, I think that that's a deep that defense is, is. To me, it sounds interesting, uh, I, but also, you know, the the biggest the biggest guys are in the two hundred and fifty range. So I don't know, you know, if you, if you buy, you know, the size means everything argument, then then it's a big deal. But you know, I think these guys are pretty athletic, and uh, defense is kind of carried. I uh, mean, they haven't gone to a bowl game, but they they've been a competitor in the Sun Belt Conference, and uh, it's been because of, uh, of uh, the Warhawks defense.
4: You just alluded to it. You'd think that that would make them more susceptible to pass. And Iowa, for the first time, really looks like it has an emerging solid trio of wideouts.
3: I totally agree. I mean, it's been 13 years. I've been doing this, and this might be the Iowa's best group of wide receivers. Uh, the, the early wide receivers weren't bad. I mean, if you look at the numbers, uh, Khalil Hill and Kevin Casper were terrific. I mean, they were. I mean, Kevin Castro was Iowa's receptions record holder until last season. So. I think this, you know, in, in, lately with Dur- with Durrell and uh, Marvin, you know, you had two strong receivers. But this year, the three, throwing and Cubonte uh, Martin Manley, whose body control Saturday really impressed me. He's a uh, little taller than you think, maybe six one-ish, maybe a little more than that. Uh, very well put together, uh, great body control, and uh, you know, is acting like he's been there. I mean, those are two big ca- touchdown uh, grabs he had Saturday. And then, and then I think really, <laughs> you go to, the, to who I thought maybe had the biggest breakout game, maybe outside of a little bit of what Iowa's defense did. But uh, Keenan Davis is a man among boys out there. He's he's well, he's Marvin, but he's a little more physical. I mean, he, he'll run he'll run those tough routes, the tough slant routes. Marvin does too; they all do. But uh, Keenan will drag three guys down the field. So uh, maybe Marvin's more capable on the sidelines with burst. But you know what? It's a great argument for Iowa who can do what best because. I think you're right, John. This is uh, this might be Iowa's three best wide receivers at least during the parents era.
4: Talking about uh, Louisiana Monroe's offensive schemes, you indicated that they rotate their quarterbacks. Are we likely to see more of one than the other, and what should fans be looking for from their offense on Saturday?
3: Colton Browning is the guy that you'll see more of. The other guy is more of a passing quarterback. Browning is more of the athletic quarterback that's Iowa has been seems like the last three weeks and we'll see the next, uh, you know, except for Penn State maybe to the end of the season. I mean, there's no updates. Everybody has an athletic quarterback who can run a spread or no huddle or both and uh, it sounds like ULM is sort of in that boat. They have a, w- a wide receiver who has Olympic speed, not Olympic, but he's got a, a NCAA track speed in Luther Ambrose. Uh, the running game is kind of... Uh, constipated right now. It'll get there maybe. Uh, I bet it will against uh, South uh, or Sunbelt Conference opponents. It probably won't be there Saturday the way it needs to be, but uh, offensive line, a true freshman is starting at left tackle, which I think is impressive, and then they have another freshman who's playing guard. Other than that, the other three guys are veterans. I think this is a team that will be able to move the ball. I mean, if you look at the speed factor, a lot there's a lot of fast kids from that area in uh, Louisiana, and uh, I, I imagine the heart, at least going over the roster last night a little bit, they don't uh, you know, and Ross might stretch into Arkansas just a little bit, but for the most part, we're talking Texas and Louisiana and kids who can run, and and you never know with athletes and the 85 scholarships you never know, but uh, I think Iowa's defense should take another positive step, and it kind of needs to.
4: Who do you see being the key performers for the Hawks on Saturday, both offensively and defensively?
3: Oh, it's still defense. I think. Uh, I think uh, Christian Kirksey's in an interesting position. He last week, and, and I, I don't think he's been given enough credit for this. He, uh, you know, he's a sophomore. He's this is his first year starting uh, on defense, and he's starting at linebacker, which is a brainy position. It's you know, react and, and be athletic, but it's also, you have to be in the right position. You have to read and have some instinct and. Last week, uh, Tyler Nielsen gets uh, walks off the field very early. You know, with the ankle injury he suffered at Iowa State, he had to be taken out of the game early against uh, Pitt. So, what happens is, uh, Kirksey moves over to his uh, Leo linebacker spot, and Anthony Hitchens goes in a weak side linebacker, which is something that Hitchens has practiced all camp, so it's a normal position for him. And I really didn't notice a drop off. I mean, I, I think uh, Kirksey played very, very well. He uh, he's showing me more and more every week, and I'm very, very impressed with him. Offensively, I think I don't know who it'll end up being. And this is a small, weird sort of answer, but uh, I think someone needs to win left guard. I mean, that was sort of a uh, rotating thing Saturday last Saturday between Matt Tobin, junior walk-on, and redshirt freshman Brandon Sheriff. So uh, neither of them really won the job the way you'd like to see it won and the I was inside trio of those two and James Ferentz and Adam Geddes had some tough moments that race especially in the first half so they need a little bit. They need to tighten up the inside trio and I think uh, it'll be interesting to see if anybody can claim that plus Nolan McMillan is supposed to come back here the next maybe maybe the Penn State week so there'll be some competition thrown in there but you I imagine Ferentz probably wants to see one of those two guys win that job, and probably Sheriff, because he probably is going to need Sheriff as a tackle next year if Riley goes in the NFL. Prediction? Uh, I picked Iowa 38-17 in the newspaper, so that's what I'm going to stick with. It. I think Iowa will get points. Uh, I think Iowa will get a turnover or two, but I, I think ULM uh, will move the ball, and I wouldn't be surprised if they had a, a pretty good Sun Belt and maybe break it. It's been since 92 since they've had a, uh, a winning season. Uh, I think they could be headed that way this year. They've they played some great defense. They held uh, uh, Florida State's under 100 yards rushing, which is amazing. So, But I'm going with uh, Iowa 38 30
4: How important is it, do you think, for Iowa to at least try to build a big enough lead to get some backup, some more playing time going into the bye week?
3: I think you might see that, especially at running back. I'm not sure where Coker's health is, and that's sort of a new fact that didn't uh, really make a ripple this week, but uh, he came out of camp and he had a, a shoulder injury, and he missed quite a bit of camp. So he's seen, if he's tentative, maybe that's why, and uh, maybe they start to really look at developing some depth there, and not just paying a lip service, and... By that, I mean, it's probably not going to be Jason White. You're probably going to damn Damon Bullock getting, getting the ball Saturday maybe 10, 15
4: times. We can't leave this week without talking about a subject that's been on nearly everybody's mind and dominating a lot of um, media attention. I think you referred to it a couple of days ago as conference realignment again or some such term. Talk about what you think about all of this potentially major activity going on on conference realignment and what that means for the Big Ten, which has been pretty quiet, but you you really find it hard to believe they aren't pretty active behind the scenes.
3: Behind the scenes I, I imagine they have a war room where they're at least had, had some contact with things, but it sounds like it's dead. I mean, it sounds like the whole deal's dead, at least as far as West goes. Uh, it sounds like the Big 12 is, you know, somehow it's a cat and it's got Ten and a half lives and it's on number 10. And it uh, sounds like it's going to hang in there, at least as far as the, the news goes today. Oklahoma, or uh, actually the Pac-12, shut the door on any sort of expansion. So Oklahoma has nowhere to go. It sounds like Texas is going to agree to some revenue sharing, but the, the uh, Longhorn Network is still theirs and they're not going to get rid of it. Uh, I could see a concession being made there where the Longhorn Network agrees not to show any high school games, which seems pretty collegial to me and and the right thing to do, but maybe maybe Texas ends on that and Oklahoma goes okay and they all live happily together in uh, in the Big 12, which probably at that point would need to go find one or two more teams so it can have that conference championship game again. But still, you look out of the east, and, uh, you know, the FPC supposedly offered uh, uh, Missouri a spot, and I, I don't think it would be smart for Missouri, who has a really great football coach in Gary Pinkle, to take that. That would age him seven years for every one. And then uh, you look further east, and that's where kind of there's still some chaos with the ACC digging in to the Big East last week and taking Pitt and Syracuse. And there's still talk about, I think, eventually UConn is out of the Big East because they they, they don't seem interested in being there now. So there's still some shaking going on out east, but I think as far as Notre Dame, Big Ten, West goes status quo. Big, the Big 12, again, avoids the, uh, the death flow.
4: Marv Cook had some pretty provocative comments about realignment in his segment this week, and he really is for... Going right down the Mississippi and having the Big Ten add Texas and Oklahoma and Oklahoma State, maybe Missouri, and really going for a mega conference where you cut down on playing a lot of weak non-conference foes and you go head-to-head with a lot of the best teams week-to-week.
3: Not going to happen, I don't think, because Texas is just sort of this giant Buddha baby in the middle of the room that has all the cookies and all the, you know, cashola, and it's just not going to share it. It's not going to the, the big The Longhorn Network is they see it as something they can drive and make it the place where kids want to go, and uh, that will drive a wedge. I mean, that's the Big Ten, I, I really think even if it if, if push came to shove and, you know, Oklahoma and Texas went to the Pac-12, I don't think the Big Ten was going to expand. I think the Big Ten was going to kick back and watch everybody and watch how the 16-team conferences worked or didn't work and be happy with what it had, and then if things broke apart, maybe they would pounce. but I think the Big Ten 10 life 12 everybody gets a good cut of money revenue sharing there everybody's buying into the big 10 network and uh status quo i don't think i think the big 10 or jim delaney personally has been burned by notre dame too many times that's never gonna happen unless notre dame comes falling and uh, i don't see that happening either notre dame's too proud and they they, uh, they that independent status is something that uh, they believe is their identity and i see them sticking with it for for as long as they can afford it so what you gotta do you gotta fall back Superior firepower
2: and superior intelligence.
1: Vandenberg from the 25. Looking deep. Caught for the touchdown. Kevante, Martin Manley, 25 yards.
2: This crowd now sounds like they're starting to believe.
1: It all came down to that tall reversal on the catch that was ruled an incompletion late in the third quarter, and See, since then Iowa's been a different team offensively.
2: But this is exactly what they need. We talked about him getting hot in the fourth quarter when they need him. Perfectly thrown pass.
0: Just a reminder that you can participate in our shows by offering your own comments and opinions on the Hawks. The toll-free hotline is available 24 hours a day. Call 866-74-HAWKS and make your voice heard. Visit HawkeyesMike.com, go to the news and events section, and check the links for up-to-date information on Iowa games, TV channels, team schedules, and more. Also check out the game photos and video highlights of Iowa games, other Big Ten action, and teams across the country. Just click on the video. Video tab. You can subscribe to all Hawkeye's Mike podcasts through iTunes, and you can follow Hawkeye's Mike on Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook. Also, be sure to check out all of the Hawkeye stories, features, and blogs in the Gazette, the Hawkeye, and the Daily Iowa. Postgame show is brought to you by. Christ, I can't find it. The hell with it. Hawkeyes Mike football shows are brought to you in part by Prefence Hand Sanitizer, the revolutionary antimicrobial hand sanitizer that is alcohol-free and lasts all day with a single application. Try the hand sanitizer the Iowa Hawkeyes use. And remember, the best defense is Prefence. Our thanks again to ESPN2 for the game highlights this week, and thanks to our contributors, John Bonenkamp and Mark Morehouse. We hope you have enjoyed this Hawkeyes Mike podcast, that you'll come back for more, and that you'll participate. By phoning and making your own voice heard on our shows, call 866-74-HAWKS. It's all Hawkeyes, all the time, on HawkeyesMike.com. One passion, many voices.
1: Nice work, everyone. Sharp broadcast. Really
6: good. Everyone on the floor as well. Really a lot of hustle. I liked it.
0: This has been a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike LLC.